Well, uh, good morning. We're in week three of a series that we're calling Relationship Hacks. Guys, if you grab that green, green bucket for me, I'd appreciate it. And uh, when you came in this morning, something that was different, if you're here all the time, uh, hang on a second, I'll get it. <laughs> if you came in uh, this morning when you, uh, you were handed a, hopefully, a new piece of paper, if you're here regularly, you go, what is this new piece of paper? On one side it says sermon notes, and on the back it says life group notes. Uh, that's what we're calling our discipleship guide. This week... We're kicking off some pilot life groups or people who are going to be leading life groups in January for everybody. And they're going to go through a seven-week uh, experiment of learning what a life group is all about and how it works. And what's going to happen when we launch those life groups and for this, the group of leaders going through them starting this week is we're going to use the sermon on a Sunday morning as the curriculum for the group. So here's, here's how it will work. If you show up on a Sunday and you hear the message and you, you're a note taker, you fill in the notes... Uh, you can take that with you that following week to the life group that you'll be a part of, and that'll form the discussion, because we want you to take a tool and work this into your life. And so uh, there's sermon notes. Now, some of you may not have that. I know it's the first time we've done this. I think the ushers have some in the back. If you don't have notes and you are a note taker and you're going to go, I'm missing out, and you want a copy of that, would you raise your hand? I think the ushers are going to come forward right down here, and they're going to give you back in the back over here, down front over here. And then I think that's it. Okay, great, great. Well, I want to invite you uh, as we jump into this. I'll walk you through those notes so you uh, can see what they are. Uh, but I want to invite you to stand with me as we read a passage of Scripture together for week three of our series. And uh, I'll read it aloud. This is from the Psalms in the Old Testament. And uh, it'll be on the screen. You can follow along. This is the words of the psalmist. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, here's, this is about you, okay? So I want you to read this next passage out loud with me. We'll read it together. It's going to come up on the screen here uh, in just a second. Verse 13, you ready? Here we go. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord to you today. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> I want to talk to you today about how uh, to love yourself. Now, each week we're giving you a tool for your relationships. And uh, each week we're giving you a goal, saying this, if you could have this as a goal for your life, and then we're giving you a tool or a hack that will help you do that. And today I want to talk to you about how to love yourself. What I've found is it's very hard to love somebody else if I don't even like myself. 
very hard. Uh, so I got a question for you as we start this off. How, how is your, and this is a little bit odd, so stay with me. How is your relationship with yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Are you nice to you? Would you want to be your friend if you talked to you the way you talk to you? <laughs> Do you respect yourself? Uh, now, it might seem a little odd to talk about this, but in, in the Bible, the relationship that you have with yourself is the, is the mark or the measure for the kind of relationship you can have with somebody else. Now, I'm getting this straight from uh, the lips of Jesus. Uh, one of his most famous interchanges uh, was with the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were uh, the conservatives and the liberals of Jesus' time. And uh, it's very important that you note, and this is not the point of the message, that Jesus wasn't on either of their sides. Oh, yeah, I'll leave that right there, okay? But this is, this is what happened. We're going to put it on the screen here. Um, and Jesus has had this interaction with the Sadducees, who were the liberals, and now he's talking to the Pharisees, the conservatives. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, now the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, the law being the Old Testament, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now again, he's referencing the Old Testament. All you have in the left side of your Bible. And there were in the Old Testament, there still is in the Old Testament, 613 different commands. And so uh, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trip Jesus up. And he says, Jesus, of all the 613 commands, which one's the greatest? Now, how would you answer that question? What would you say if someone, what's the greatest commandment that God would give to you? How would you respond to that? And Jesus responds like this in verse 37. Jesus replied, and here he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So Jesus says, listen, there's nothing more important for a human being to do than be close to their creator. It's the most important. Listen, do you live your life every day like that's the most important thing or do you live your life like some other thing is more important than that? Now, I want you to notice what Jesus does next, because here's what Jesus uh, doesn't do, because this is what religion does. Jesus doesn't say that religion is an air hose that you attach to God. Oh, I'm plugged in. I'm going to be okay. He moves it to other people, and this is the goal uh, for this tool that we're going to give you this week. And he goes on, verse 39, and he says, and the second, notice what he says, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to talk about that today. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying that your love for God is supposed to result in love for your neighbor, or it's meaningless. It would be like if you think, well, I can just have a relationship with God, and it doesn't matter how I treat other people. That would be like you being a parent of multiple children, and you're saying, I, you're saying to one of your kids, listen, uh, I want you to love me, Parents of multiple children, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. I want you to love me, but I don't care how you treat your brothers and sisters. As a parent, one of the things, I want my kids to love me, but I also want them to love each other. 
Now, again, I want you to see what Jesus does. It's monumental because Jesus shifts forever the motivational structure of the religious world from rules to the love of God and the neighbor. What, and neighbor. So religion is rules and rituals. We, we say, okay, are you in or are you out? Are you doing the right things or are you not doing the right things? Are you doing the wrong things? Are you in or are you out? Jesus shifts it and he changes it from rules and practices to heart and to love. So Jesus is changing the question and says not, are you in or are you out? Are you doing the right things? He's asking the question, are you close? Now, this might be a shift that you need to make because many people come into a room like this and what they think God is looking for is the right rules and the right practices and the right rituals done in the right way at the right time. That's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of Christianity. And it's why the mission of our church is to help you make that shift from rules and rituals to heart and love. That's, when you do that, that's, that's real faith. That's, that's real life. Now, Jesus is pulling, uh, when he talks about these two commandments, answers this test question, he's pulling from the Old Testament. And specifically, when he talks about loving your neighbor as you love yourself, he's reaching all the way back to Leviticus chapter 19. You could read that later today and see all that it says there. And Leviticus chapter 19, there are two different verses that Jesus is uh, tying this phrase, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, and I'll, I'll, we've got them on the screen for you here. He says this in Leviticus 19, 18. This is uh, uh, Moses to the people from God. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says the person that's your neighbor, the, the, uh, the person that lives in your home, the person that lives next door to you, the person you worked with you, your neighbor, the person in proximity. You're supposed to love that person as you love yourself. And then a few verses later, Jesus is tapping into this too. He says this. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Now, maybe you're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this parable because one of those Pharisees, Sadducees, comes to Jesus and says, Okay, Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you know, the Samaritan in the story is the bad guy in those people's minds. It would be, think about a people group that you just don't like or have any affinity for, or maybe you just think they are just what's wrong with the world. Jesus was taking that person and making that person the hero of the story, saying they were the one who treated the person that they didn't know as their neighbor, this guy laying on the side of the road. And Jesus brings these two focuses of love for your neighbor, not only the person that's right next to you, but the person you don't know at all. Your neighbor is anybody and everybody. Jesus is saying, because this is the goal of love. And if you have the blank, the very first blank on your sermon notes, this is what it is. Because love has as its goal closeness between people. Love has as its goal closeness between people. Listen, the opposite of love, uh, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is distance. Right? The people that you love, you keep close. The people you don't like, what do you do? (laughs) Love closes the gap between people. See, this is the goal of love, is that we close the gap. Love first to God, we close the gap between us and God. And then love between our neighbor, we close the gap. There'd be people who are always working to close the gap. Now, we've got a problem 
because we live in this country, and uh, the problem, th- th- just like any country has issues, uh, one of our issues is, is what people who study these things call uh, rugged individualism is the way Americans operate. For uh, centuries, for thousands of years, most traditional cultures, and America is, is a traditional culture in a way, most traditional cultures have always prized the family or the tribe over the individual. And uh, America has flipped that a little bit in our society, and we prize the individual over the tribe or over the family. And so what happens is, what again, those people who study this, is we have rugged individualism. We think that we are all on our own, and it is all up to us all the time. We have no help from anyone. We even have phrases. We say things like, man, he really pulled himself up by the bootstraps. He's a self-made man. Right? That's totally foreign to the majority of cultures on planet Earth for the most of human history. But, and, and what happens is, is we have two paths that seem like they're different, but they end us up in the same place because of the fact that we prize the individual over everything. And they, they seem very different, but they end in the same place. And here's the first result of a culture where it's rugged individualism is I think that it is all up to me. And then because it's all up to me, that means that I am all alone. I have nobody to help me. I can't count on anybody else. Nobody else is going to be there for me. If it's to be, it's up to me. And so because of that, then I am isolated. Uh, Did you know they did a study recently and they found that being alone, being lonely, is as bad for you as smoking several packs of cigarettes a day. And so what happens is when you go down that path and you think it's all up to you, is you're isolated and then you're, in the end you're all by yourself. Did you know that in Britain they just appointed a loneliness minister because it's an epidemic? Now that's one path, right? Now, there's a a second path that seems like it's a different path, but it ends you in the exact same place. And it's what some people call, uh, in America, we have what we call project self. Everybody's on their own path, their own journey to self-discovery, their own journey of making sense of their life uh, with the neglect of other lives. And so on project self, I say, you know, this is my journey. It's it's my journey. I'm charting my path to the stars. Uh, so then I have to make sure I take good care of me, and I, I pamper me, and I treat me, and I read books about me, and I go to seminars about me, and I get Tony Robbins. He's great. But I get Tony Robbins, and I listen to people like that that are motivational speakers, and I discover me. Do you know where that takes you? You end up in the exact same place all by yourself. So on the one hand, when you go down the path of it's all, I'm all alone and there's nobody for me, what happens is it's hard for you to close the gap between you and somebody else because you feel so isolated. If you take the other path where you go down project self and you're just going to focus on yourself, you're so focused on yourself and your journey and bettering yourself that you don't stop to even care about the gap. But in both circumstances... It muddies the goal that Jesus lays out for us that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We got to get really clear on the goal, and we don't want to forget about the neighbor. Now, this passage that we've looked at, Psalm 139, 
is a, a passage about how God sees you. The first part of that passage is about how God is aware of everything about us. God knows when we sit and when we rise. He perceives our thoughts from afar. Before a word is on our tongue, he knows it. He discerns all of our ways. He knows our going in and our going out. In other words, God sees everything. There's nothing that's unnoticed or missed by God. You don't get a new haircut and God's like, I didn't know you got a new haircut. You don't get a new pair of boots and God's like, oh, you got new boots? You don't go buy some expensive toy and you hope that your spouse doesn't see it. God sees it. He knows when you spent that money, right? <laughs> he knows all about that. He doesn't have to check your bank account. He just sees. And so we live, we live seen by God and known by God and observed by God. Now, some of you, that raises your anxiety level. And what I hope would happen is that you would hear that as good news the way the psalmist said it in verse uh, 6 of chapter 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty. For me to attain, it's good news, not bad news, that God sees me. So, Because if God sees me, then God can help me. If God knows all about me, then God cares about me. You can't hide anything from God. And if that causes you anxiety, what I want to do is I want you to meet my friend Jesus, who talked about God as our Father, who loves us. And, and the anxiety that's causing you the, the, the struggle is uh, caused by your sin, which makes us hide and so I, I would want you to meet Jesus who removes that. One of my earliest childhood memories, uh, my family lived in Dundee, South Africa, and we went to the corner store, a grocery store, a little uh, gas station, and I remember going in, and there was the, the candy shelf that, you know, was right by the, the counter, and um, there was a piece of candy on the floor. It wasn't in the, the container. And my sister, who's three years older than me, said, hey, Scott, uh, pick up the piece of candy. Now, I'm about four years old, and I somehow knew that you're not supposed to take that candy. Uh, but my sister, I said, no, you, you, can't, you can't take that candy. I said, yeah, you can take that candy. It's okay. It's free because it's on the floor. <laughs> so I listened to my sister, and I put the candy when no one was looking in my pocket. Is there a statute of limitation on these things? Is anybody going to see that? I don't know. <laughs> I got in the car. The whole time, all I could think about was I had done something wrong. I jumped out of the car, I ran around the back of the house, I opened the package, and I shoved the whole wad of candy in my mouth as fast as I could and ate it all. But you know what I felt the entire time? I felt this incredible sense of dread like I had done something wrong and there was a distance between me and my parents and my sister. I, I want to reduce the distance by introducing you to Jesus because, see, some of us feel that way. We're like, well, he knows. No, no, no. When God sees, that means he knows he's going to do something about it. So I want to tell you about how God, uh, how God sees you, and, and I, I want to hopefully today uh, replace what you think with what God thinks. Uh, could you download the upgrade to you? Uh, could you have you 2.0 is what I want to go for. And so um, I, I want to give you some upgrades, and we're going to look at the, the second half of this, uh, this passage that we read. And um, it'll be on your handout there. You can follow along. And the words that Jesus, that God says about you, um, verse 13, let's start right there. You created my inmost being. Now, now what happens when you create something? Um, when you create something, uh, that's the result of your handiwork. You don't create something on accident. You intend what you create. So when you create something physical in the world, first you've thought about it, 
and then you've probably written it down on paper and just drawn out what it's going to look like or how it's going to be or what the measurements are. And then you create the thing. So you've, you've got, you put a lot of attention and time and thought into that. And uh, the psalmist says that God created you. He created your inmost being. Now, in antiquity, that word there, the inmost being, is your kidneys. I know that doesn't sound very warm and fuzzy to you, but in, in the antiquity, that was the, the word for, you know, the real me. But it's, the, it's the, the, the meaning behind that is that's the real you, not a shell. It's me, me. Uh, God created you. So here's the upgrade, okay? Here's the, if you could download the upgrade, it's this. I am a creation, not an accident. Many of us walk around thinking, I'm an accident. My parents didn't mean to have me. My parents never wanted me. No, 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 no. Here's the upgrade. I'm a creation, not an accident. Now, uh, Jesus said that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So however uh, we want, whatever we want done for us, we want done for our neighbor. So the upgrade means that God dumps something into you, right? Uh, then he goes on, verse 13, he says, you knit me together in my, my mother's womb. This is a, a little blanket. This is from Kinley Sapp, Reed and Ariel Reed, our student pastor, um, that someone made for Kinley when she was born. They, they knit this together. They um, they planned out what this was going to look like. And so because they planned out what this was going to look like, uh, there was a purpose for every movement. Uh, there was a plan for every stitch. Uh, nothing was unthought of. Uh, there's an intricate time and energy put in to the creation of this lovely little thing that was handed to them as a gift uh, God knit you together in your mother's womb. He intended you. So here's, here's the upgrade, okay? Here's the upgrade. I was made on purpose. I am the result of God's plan. I was made on purpose. I was the result of God's plan. So uh, God wants to dump some of that into you. So let's put some more in. Then he goes on. He says, I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Now, we miss the meaning of that. Uh, the word fear there is the word that uh, n- doesn't mean that you're afraid. It means that it, it implies awe. Uh, that itself is a word we've kind of lost the meaning of. Uh, I have a table saw. Someone gave me a table saw really kindly. Someone from real life knew that I like to do woodwork, and they had a table saw laying around. He said, here, you just take this. I am terrified to death of the table saw because I know people who've lost digits on the table saw so I have a reverence and an awe when that thing, that button gets flipped. You know, I, I have almost cut parts of myself off using the table saw. But I have a sense of awe and reverence for the table saw. You know, when summer happens and, uh, and the winds start to blow on Lake Michigan, they'll put out a warning and they'll say, you know, the, the wind is too high and the conditions are too high. And people go in every year. Uh, they go in when the water's too turbulent. And they don't have an appropriate sense of awe for the power of the wind and the water. And it takes them under. See, an awe, a sense of awe is the sense that I, I had better not mess with that. This is how you were made. You were made to inspire awe. So you could say it like this. And you get to take the old meaning of this word, not the current meaning of this word. I am awesome. I'm meant to inspire awe and People say, man, you better not mess with that. There's beauty and 
power in that person. Then he goes on. He says, your works are wonderful. Uh, you know, when someone does something really well, we give them what we call superlatives. You know, we add all these adjectives on and say it was extraordinary. It was marvelous. It was magnificent. You know, if someone makes you a great meal and uh, you, you eat it and it's just the best thing you've ever had, you, you just can't, if you're me, <laughs> Can't stop talking about how fantastic it is. Oh, it's so good. You know, I, I, uh, if you're around me long enough and we eat a meal together and I really like it, I wish I could hide this, but I can't. If I really like it, I make yummy sounds. And I'm like, mmm, oh. And if I don't make the yummy sounds, that means I don't, it's not that it's bad. It's just I'm not really, I wish I could stop that, but I, it's just an involuntary thing. You know, it's, oh, it's so delicious. It's, so, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And, and when God looks at you and how he made you, he says this. You are wonderful, so I am wonderful. So we dump more of that into the bucket, right? God upgrades us and says that you're wonderful. And then he goes on. He says, all my days were ordained for me. Now, I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is yasar. It sounds like yes, sir, but it's yasar. Turn to your neighbor and say yasar. You got to say it like that, though, yasar, or you don't get the full meaning of it, because that's how you have to say uh, Hebrew. This is the Hebrew word uh, for the word ordain. Now, I know something about ordain. Uh, as a pastor, uh, when you study to be a pastor, you go through a whole process, and uh, at the end of that process, when you've studied book learning, and you've done things with people, and you've shown that you have the gifts and graces to be someone who helps to lead other people in some way, and other people affirm that. They have uh, what's called an ordination service, and it's this special occasion where people come together, and they lay hands on you. And I had a bunch of people lay hands just to say, listen, God has, since Jesus, people have been ordained to be leaders in God's church, and so it's like this unextended hand all the way from 2,000 years ago put on your shoulder. And, and when they ordain you, what they're saying is, we are now setting you apart for a specific purpose. There is something that God has in mind for you with your life. And this is the upgrade. The upgrade is, I have a purpose. God has ordained something for me. I have a purpose. So we pour some purpose into our life. And then he goes on, verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me. Now that's not a very, uh, that's not a very masculine sentence, Right? As guys, we don't usually use the word precious. I know, ladies, sorry, I'm not meaning to leave you out here, but we don't really talk about, oh, how precious, <laughs> usually. <laughs> uh, but as guys, I, I just talked to you for a second. We like this, right? When, you're, when your girl wears that shirt that you love, you're like, oh, girl. <laughs> uh, when, when, when she makes you something that you love, it's delicious, you're like, oh. You, you know what, what you're feeling when, when that, those things happen? She's thinking about you because to her, you are precious. When, when someone thinks about you, that means they think that you're important and you're valuable. 
uh, my wife and I, uh, my mother-in-law is in town this week, and because um, we, we've never lived near family, and so uh, any chance there is for us to, to get out of town for a night, um, we take advantage of it when family's here uh, because we don't normally have that opportunity. And so we went to uh, South Bend and to, to celebrate our anniversary late Friday night, Saturday, and just hung out at the mall and did stuff that you can't do with kids dragging around, like look at stores and go, oh, look how nice that is without having to tell someone to stop. You know, it's beautiful. And, and we're walking through the mall, and, uh, and, and then the phone rings. Bring! And it's one of our sons complaining about one of our other sons. Like, oh, you're interrupting our precious moment. What are you doing? <laughs> but Corbin, our middle son, uh, was thinking about us because we were, were precious to him. And he ended his, he ended his talk, and finally I was like, okay, hand the phone to me. And I said, okay, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to do this, and you're going to say this, and you're going to apologize, and you're going to. And he said this. I ended it because it's what you say when you, someone's precious to you. Say, He said, when are you going to be home? When someone's precious to you, those are the kinds of things. Now, maybe this is overwhelming to you, or maybe this is good news. I don't know. What the psalmist is saying is that God is always thinking about you. He even compares it to the number of grains on the seashore. It's like that's how many thoughts God has about you. We don't normally think about it. We think that we're an afterthought to God. God doesn't really think about it. He's got more important things to do. He's not thinking about me. No, no, no. The psalmist says that God is thinking about us all the time. Here, here's the update. Here's the upgrade. I am a constant thought in God's mind. So we dump some of that in our And then he ends with this, verse 18. He says, when I'm awake, I'm still with you. Now, we might have the tendency to say, well, okay, this is all a little bit too good to be true. It's kind of like a dream. I mean, it's just it's made up language to make you feel better. No, no, no. This psalmist is trying to say this is reality. And that when, why, who God says that I am is not a pipe dream. Who God says that I am is, is not a pipe dream. And so that gets added to it. Now, remember the goal, right? The goal is that you would take this inside of you and you would love yourself. But then what you would do with the way you love yourself is then you would then love your neighbor so, in other words, the message is God puts into you everything that you need so that you can be the best version of you. And then what he wants you to do is he wants to take whatever you want in the bucket for you, however full you want it, all the things you think that you deserve and earn, take it. And then give it to your neighbor because there's more where that came from. Now... <clears throat> We told you to give you a hack, okay? Uh, because this is this is uh, this is a simple thing to talk about, but it's actually really hard to do. And as we were talking about this this week, we're like, how do you help someone love themselves better? Because some people are so caught in feedback loops uh, inside their own head that to just tell them to love themselves better, it's just not really going to do much. They're going to go, okay, I'm going to remember that to lunch, and then I'm going to forget. It's it's simple, but it's hard. So we're talking to, how do you make sense of this? Well, I, we remembered a game we used to play when we were kids. It was called Red Light, Green Light. Does anybody remember Red Light, Green Light? Yeah, Red Light, Green Light was awesome. You'd play it in gym class, and what would happen is you, someone would be at the front, and they would say, Red Light! And what did you do when it was Red Light? Like, you stopped, right? And then they would turn around and they'd go, Green Light! And you'd run. And, and, and the goal was to be the first person to touch that person, and then you got to be the Red Light, Green Light person. And so we thought, okay, this might be a helpful way for us to think about 
uh, loving ourselves is to have red light, green light. And when the red light goes on, that's when we stop. And we go, oh, wait, 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 stop. I got to stop. That's not, that's not going to help me love myself or love my neighbor. And instead replace it with green light. Okay, when the green light is on, then I, then I go. And so uh, the, the red light for you, there, there are things that you think that kill you. And I don't know what all of those things are. And some of those things are very personal to you and they're very ugly. And what I would challenge you to do is to talk to God about those things this week. Maybe there would be a friend that you could sit down and talk with or a counselor you could go and see. And, and maybe you would make a list of the things that, man, these are red light things. I need to stop these. They're killing me. I don't know what to do because I think these things all the time. And maybe you turn those, that list into a prayer and say, okay, God, every time I think about this, Lord, remind me of the red light. Red light. But let me give you two common ones that I know people struggle with. Um, one is what we talked about just growing up in this society is that I'm all alone. You know, that's a red light. If you have the thought that goes, I'm all alone, or this is all about me, or I need to take care of me. Red light! Or, here's the second one, is I have to act on whatever I feel. Man, this kills people all the time. We feel something, and then we feel obligated to do something with the emotion and act on the emotion, and, and it kills us. It kills us because we follow our emotion, and our emotion becomes the rudder for our life. It's a, it's, a, it's a great feedback mechanism, but it's a terrible rudder for your life. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know where I learned this, but uh, someone drew a little picture of a train, and uh, you had the, the engine and then all the, the cars, and they said, you know, sometimes what happens in life is that we take the engine and we make the engine the feelings, and then we make the cars the facts, and we let the feelings pull the facts. And he said what we need to do is we need to flip that and make the, the, the engine the facts that are true, and then let the feelings be pulled along by the facts. And so we, when you, whenever you get to the place where you're like, I feel this, and i got to act on this, red light, stop. Instead, what we want to do is we want a green light. Uh, we want to have the things that make us go. And so I want to tell you a, a couple ways that you can turn on the green light in your life. And, and here's the first one. This is so simple and yet it's so profound. Is that every day you need to have time with your heavenly father. Hearing what he says about you. One of my heroes is a guy by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s in Britain. And uh, you can Google him later today, read about his life. It's an amazing, amazing life. Follower of Jesus. Uh, he, in his day, raised what was the, the equivalent of about half a, a billion dollars um, to fund orphanages for kids on the street. And he did it by simply asking God. He said, I'm never going to ask a person. I'm only going to tell God, and the need's going to come. He has these amazing stories of his life of faith lived that way. And he, has, he said something that had, I read it years ago, and it's always stuck with me. He said, and I, I looked it up just to make sure I was quoting it right. He said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. And if you, if you Google him, and you'll see pictures of him, and he's got this, like, stupid grin on his face. <laughs> and it's pictures of him when he's old. And I'm like, I, when I'm old, I want to have a stupid grin on my face. You can tell by looking at him, that's someone who actually has that. So to turn the green light on, you've got to have time with your Heavenly Father every day. Second thing is you need to spend time with other Christians talking about life. That's why we're launching these life groups, encouraging each other and praying for each other. And then this is the third thing, is that you need to learn, um, let me call it this, you need to learn to preach the gospel 
to yourself. The gospel, the, the good news, is just that. It's news about what God has done for you. It's not advice for you to try and keep. The cross and the resurrection are facts that Jesus died for people like you and me, and he rose again for people like you and me, so we can base our life on that fact, not our feelings about ourselves. In fact, that's the way you get to you, version 2.0, is you put your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, and you say, I'm going to tie myself to that engine, and wherever it goes, that's where I'm going to go. And that's how you get green light. Now, again, this is simple but hard, and some of this comes for us in stages, and so for some of us, this is, and we're going to put this on the screen for you so you can see this, and it's on the, the notes on the back, so you don't have to write this down. Uh, but these are the stages that we go through. We, we hear something like this, and it just exists as information. Now, that'd be, that's nice. But then, then it shifts. The next stage is that we long for it to be reality in our life. Man, I would love to have that kind of outlook on my life. And then, then the next stage is we begin to affirm, man, that's got to be this way. I've got to have that. I've got to have that. And then the next stage is that makes us to say, God, you've got to make it that way in my life. I don't know how to get it, but you've got to make it that way in my life. And then you get to the stage where, you, where George Mueller was and where I want to be and where I hope you want to be is that you're functioning every day by God's grace like it is so. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing uh, the, as a response. This is going to be the blessing as we go out, we're going to sing this song that we've been singing for several weeks about who God says that we are as a way to say, God, <laughs> I want to love myself so that I can love my neighbor. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. I'm going to have you stand and sing, all right? Would you stand with me? God, thank you that you know who we are. Um, even when we don't know who we are, you see who we are. Even when we don't see who we are, you uh, have a plan for us, even when we don't have a plan for us. You know where to take us. You know how to turn us into different kinds of people. And so, God, we want, to, um, we want it not just to be information. We, we want this to be the way we operate, that we think about ourselves the way you think about us, and that that translates into love for our neighbor, and that we get closer to the people in our life, not further away. So make it so. Pray in your name. Amen.